2: Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I'm recording a little late today. Yesterday was a busy day for me. I had a lot going on work-wise. But then last night, I had an opportunity to go see... A screening, a drive-in screening of Genius Aretha. It is a four-part series about the genius of Aretha Franklin. They had a screening at the Rose Bowl parking lot out in Pasadena, and it was really, really cute. Everyone, their mother, is in that film. There are a couple of Aretha movies. This is the one where Cynthia Arrivo is playing Aretha Franklin, and then Courtney B. Vance is playing her father, C.L. Franklin, which... I knew who he was. I knew the general overview and uh and the success of his recorded sermons and, you know, his success eased the way for Aretha to get into the music business because he had the contacts. I didn't know his his personal story. It's a lot of story. I'm not going to give anything away to you, but there's a couple one-liners in the film where I had to like pull out my phone and Google and be like, "He did what? Is that accurate?" A baby by a 12-year-old girl in the church, according to his biographer. That is very accurate. And I was like, oh, had they not told you he was a preacher, you would not have been able to judge that by his out-of-pulpit actions. I was like, this is a lot. And Courtney B. Vance does a very wonderful job. I have never listened to C.L. Franklin's recordings, but I watch Amazing Grace at least like four times a week. It's what I when I get up in the morning and I'm having my coffee and starting my day, I turn on that documentary on Hulu. I also have the album, but it's a slightly different version than the documentary. At one point in the documentary and on the album, he has a brief speaking segment and he has a very unique cadence. And his enunciation is not your typical Detroit dialect. My mother's from Detroit. I spent a lot of time there growing up, so I have a familiar ear for it. But his dialect, very, very unique. But Courtney B. Vance nails it. Pauletta Washington plays the matriarch of the family. We don't see enough Pauletta. I think people always think about her husband and, and now her son as the actors in the family. But she is a theater-trained actress who now and again graces us on screens. More Pauletta, please. I enjoy her whenever she pops up. And also, my dear friend, Patrice Covington. She plays one of Aretha's sisters in the film. You know how like, you know what your friends do for a living? Like, okay, like you're an actress, you sing. And I knew she could sing-sing because even before I met her, I saw The Color Purple on Broadway, and she played Squeak in the play. So, like, I knew she could sing sing. I've never heard her sing in actual life. Like, some people who are singers, they're always singing. They always find a way to throw a melody into something, but she she doesn't do that. In the pre-show for the film, I got there probably 15 minutes early so I could get a good spot to see my girl. But there was this pre-show, and she and another actress are singing parts from random Aretha songs. And she opened her mouth and I I was shocked by what came out. And I was like, oh, my boo sings things. Oh, but congratulations to her. A lot of the filming for this series happened during COVID. So there was a lot of starts and stops and she lives in LA and they were filming in Atlanta. So there was lots of back and forth, but they got it done. And it's visually stunning. The setting, the wardrobe, the hair, especially the wardrobe. It's beautifully directed. As a writer, I think a lot about scripts and stories. It's also not lost on me that TV and film are visual mediums. And 90% of what viewers, when you watch something on a screen, 90% of it is what it looks like. If it's not visually appealing, then it just doesn't work. But this works magnificently. It's really, really good. So you have to check it out when it comes out. I think March 21st, it's four nights of Cynthia Erivo as Aretha. I also can't wait to see the, the Aretha film that's coming to the big screen, the one with J-Hud. Now, I would love me some Jennifer Hudson. I feel very, very strongly about my Jennifer Hudson. So I can't wait to see that one either. I know some people are like, well, why do we need two Aretha films? The same reason white people get multiple films and TV shows about the same person over and over and over. Like, how many JFK stories are we going to watch? We can watch a couple about the Queen of Soul. Same thing with Mahalia Jackson. Still, nonetheless, I'm I'm happy to see black folks working. Employed in front of the camera and behind it during a pandemic, especially. Congratulations are in order from that damn Cardi B. I just love that girl. Folks have counted her out so many times, and she keeps going and going and going and going. You know how I feel about Cardi B. But her single, her first single, Bodak Yellow, was just certified diamond. That means it's moved 10 million units. She is the first female rapper to reach this milestone. That single is the gift that keeps on giving. Back in October 2017, she made history on the Billboard Hot 100 with Bodak Yellow. When the single hit number one, she was the first female rapper to top the all genre tally. I'm reading from Billboard.com, by the way, without any other credited artist in nearly 20 years since Lauryn Hill's first solo, Doo-Wop. That is quite the impressive feat for Cardi. And it looks like she's probably going to do it a second time as well because WAP hasn't even been out a year yet and it's already hit 5 million. That's probably going to end up diamond sooner than later as well. So good for her. She's endured a lot professionally, personally, but the girl keeps going. There's so much to talk about this week, but really, what I wanna talk about the last episode, we talked about the royal family. We talked at length about Meghan and Harry and their interview with Oprah on CBS. The episode came out on a Tuesday, but I recorded it on Monday. The morning after the interview. And at that time, the royal family had not responded to the interview yet. I'm sure they saw it, but it hadn't aired even in the UK. But since that time, the royal family has responded. The royal family did issue a statement from Buckingham Palace. Their statement, and not on Instagram was the whole family is saddened to hear the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Meghan. The issues raised, particularly that of race, are concerning. While some recollections may vary, they are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately. They added that Harry, Meghan, and Archie will always be much-loved family members. I expected that that would be the only statement. But Prince William went to an event, reporters were present, and they threw questions at him. No one expected him to answer, but he did. Someone asked if the royal family was racist. And his response was, quote, we are very much not a racist family. He did add that he has not spoken to his brother, Prince Harry, but would do so. Hmm. Buckingham Palace is in crisis mode for obvious reasons because that interview was was damning. They're very much trying to prove that they are not racist. An Instagram account connected to the palace started posting pictures of Prince Charles shaking hands with black people (laughs) at a vaccine drive at a black church. This ain't it. I know y'all are embarrassed by being called racist. I know you're trying to prove that you're not racist, which is, you know, really hard when a member of the family comes out and and talks about how the family was concerned about the color of his kid's skin. I don't know if y'all can really give a believable rebuttal to that. But posting random pictures of black people just shows like how out of touch they are. I don't know how they can fix it because what Harry said is crazy. But that's that. There's been more fallout from that interview. Some of it very good. Piers Morgan has spent, I don't know, the last four or five years going for Meghan Markle's throat. Like he hates that woman. But he went off on Good Morning Britain. I didn't watch what he said and and I don't really care because it's the same shit, different day. But he went off again about Meghan Markle. He questioned the validity of her comments about how she was feeling suicidal. He said that he didn't believe her. Apparently, he went on about it at some length. I did see that there were several black folks who they brought on the show to offer commentary about the Meghan and Harry interview with Oprah. And I I saw clips of that. Like, I cared about what the black people had to say. But Piers Morgan was trying to determine, determine, I think, what was racist and what was rude. And there was this black woman who was like, you know, quite frankly, that's not something you get to determine. But the defining moment for Piers Morgan was a weatherman from his show, a black man, who read him for complete filth. Alex Beresford, he went the fuck in. Like, you're subjecting us to all this nonsense just because you're mad that this woman don't want you. And he referred back to an inner, and he referred... And he referred back to an interview where Piers Morgan gave a little backstory on his knowledge of Meghan Markle. And his version is that they went on a couple dates. They had some drinks. They, quote, got along very well. And at the end of one of those dates, he put her in a cab and sent her off to her next destination. And he says it was the party where she met Prince Harry. And after that, she never responded to him again. She ghosted him. I vaguely remember this story coming up previously when Piers Morgan was going after her, but it didn't get the traction that it did this time around. You want to know a fun fact? According to his version of events, if he put Megan in a cab and she left to go to a party and met Harry, it was 2017. Let's, Let's play with the numbers. Say it was 2016. It really doesn't matter. Piers Morgan has been married since 2010. He's still married to the same wife. So this story that he's telling about, yeah, I went on these dates with Meghan Markle. He had a whole wife at home. You're confused about why this woman ghosted you. If she didn't ghost you because she met the prince, she was going to ghost you because you got a whole wife, man. This is some nigga shit. But the weatherman came to the table the morning after Pierre's latest rant and, and laid it out. Oh, here we go. I just found the quote from the weatherman. He said to peers, I understand that you don't like Meghan Markle. You've made it so clear a number of times on this program. And I understand that you've got a personal relationship with Meghan Markle or had one and she cut you off. She's entitled to cut you off if she wants to. Has she said anything about you since she cut you off? I don't think she has, but you continue to trash her. And then Piers, visibly upset, he says, okay, I'm done with this, sorry, see you later, sorry, can't do this, and walks off set. The weatherman continues, this is absolutely diabolical behavior. I'm sorry, but Piers spouts off on a regular basis, and we all have to sit there and listen. 6.30 to 7 o'clock yesterday was incredibly hard to watch. I was like, that's crazy. You've gone for this woman's throat. Every opportunity you can for years. And the first time somebody comes for you and tells you a little bit about yourself with receipts, you storm off set and quit. Such a little dick energy. I think personally he was fired. They're letting him say he was quit. I hope they elevate the weatherman to a commentator. I mean, not that I watch Good Morning Britain. I wouldn't know where to watch it if I wanted to. But that said, he's good TV. He's a witty man. Those Brits tend to be. Let's get him, let's get him an anchor job.
1: I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com.
2: You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you can find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
3: There's another story that I want to talk about. There's a situation at Teen Vogue. The new editor-in-chief is a 27-year-old black woman. Her name is Alexi McCammond, I believe. And she is in hot water right now because of some tweets that she made 10 years ago when she was 17 that are flat out racist toward the Asian community. She was mad about um, something that happened in the classroom and she tweeted, thanks a lot, stupid Asian TA, you're great. Another time she tweeted, now Googling how to not wake up with swollen Asian eyes. She also had some commentary that was homophobic. Now, these issues came up in 2019 as well. I'm not sure what role she was in at the time. She used to be an editor at The Cut. And then she was also, she also worked as a journalist covering the White House. But she was recently hired as the editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue. And the issues with her racist tweets came up again. And they come up at a time... When Asian Americans are being very, very vocal about their mistreatment. Since COVID-19, which which the former occupant of the White House blamed China for, there's been an uptick in anti-Asian racism. So for obvious reasons, Asian American activists are loud and vocal because they don't want to be treated like shit or blamed for COVID. But there's been an uptick in, in hate crimes and violence. So these tweets, they're bad on their own and at any time, let me be clear. But coming up now is especially bad for McCammond. Asian-American activists and others, some allies have spoken up, including former Teen Vogue editor-in-chief Elaine Welteroth, who is a really good friend. I've known Elaine for over 10 years. 12 years? At least. And then also the staff at, at Teen Vogue has spoken out as well. They, they released a statement about Alexi's hiring On Instagram, they said, as more than 20 members of the staff of Teen Vogue, we've built our outlet's reputation as a voice for justice and change. We take immense pride in our work and in creating an inclusive environment. That's why we have written a letter to management at Condé Nast about the recent hire of Alexi McCammon as our new editor-in-chief in light of her past racist and homophobic tweets. We've heard the concerns of our readers and we stand with you. In a moment of historically high anti-Asian violence and amid the ongoing struggles of the LGBTQ community, we as the staff of Teen Vogue fully reject those sentiments. We are hopeful that an internal conversation will prove fruitful in maintaining the integrity granted to us by our audience. So McCammon apologized the first time on March 8th. She said, quote, you've seen some offensive, idiotic tweets from when I was a teenager that perpetrated harmful and racist stereotypes about Asian Americans. I apologize for them years ago, but I want to be clear today. I apologize deeply to all of you for the pain this has caused. There is no excuse for language like that. Condé Nast defended her hiring. Quote, throughout her career, she has dedicated herself to being a champion for marginalized voices. That apology, nor Condé Nast's support of her, has made the story go away. Alexi released another apology a couple days ago on Instagram. It's pretty long. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's on her Instagram page. She says, quote, what an awful introduction we've had to each other this week. She says, this has been one of the hardest weeks of my life, in large part because of the intense pain I know my words and my announcement have caused so many of you. As I've been having a number of conversations internally with the staff and others outside Condy Nass. I've also been watching, reading, and listening to, to so many of your concerns that you've raised. I've apologized for my past racist and homophobic tweets and will reiterate that there's no excuse for perpetrating those awful stereotypes in any way. I am sorry to have used such hurtful and inexcusable language at any point in my life. It's totally unacceptable. She says in the coming weeks that she, along with Teen Vogue, will be putting together, quote, a comprehensive plan about Teen Vogue's editorial commitment to uplifting and reflecting the true complexities and beauties of the Asian American Pacific Islander community. So she's not resigning and Teen Vogue is not putting her out. I have not decided exactly how I feel about that yet. I was fleshing out some thoughts about it on Facebook and my knee jerk reaction was she got to go. She got to go. Because if this was a white person who had written tweets like that about a black person, black folks would not have understanding. They would not be accepting of an apology like this. They would say that, yeah, okay, she's 17, but she's running a teen magazine that expects more from teenagers. They expect more than that from their readers. So how is it that she gets to say these things at 17 and seemingly get away with it and get appointed to the EIC of Teen Vogue? And then other folks, my good friend John Murray, he does not agree with me on this one. He says she was 17. How long are we going to hold her accountable for? Like she's, she's going to wear a scarlet R for the rest of her life. And I was like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying a woman shouldn't be employed. She's been well employed in multiple publications, high profile jobs since those tweets, after those tweets surfaced, you know, after the tweets surfaced, she got the job at Teen Vogue. Like, I don't think she should be professionally hampered forever, but I was like, really? Teen Vogue? which under Elaine's leadership became a model for diversity in journalism? And not just because Elaine was the first black EIC, but because of what she did with the brand while she was there. Mm, I don't know. Even though I said it on Facebook when I was fleshing out my thoughts, I also don't feel entirely good as a black woman calling for the resignation of another black woman. But I think that's also partially because of like what I like to call OJ syndrome. And in no way about comparing racist tweets to, you know, murdering your wife and and another person. That's that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying in the sense that, like, remember when OJ got acquitted and all those black people celebrated, self-included? I was in high school at the time. The celebration was less about, like, oh, we know OJ's not guilty. It was more about there's been so many black people that get fucked over by the system. We're celebrating this one black person and his lawyer who beat the system. That's what the celebration was really about. But I feel like in the same way that so many Black folk have been silenced, really, about this Teen Vogue situation, like it's a very rare instance, especially at like Condi Nast, where a Black person is appointed to an editor-in-chief position, where a Black person has real power at a mainstream publication. The fact that she's got these tweets in her past, that they're not firing her, that they're standing by her, it's very rare that a Black person... Receives that treatment, essentially the same treatment that white people get when they fuck up. We've seen so many white folks do horrible, terrible things and not lose their jobs. So it's like, all right, well, this black woman did a horrible, terrible thing. She shouldn't lose her job either. So I kind of get it. But in the same way that when we spoke about Cuomo and Trump, and it was like, well, Cuomo shouldn't resign despite all these sexual harassment charges that are coming out the woodwork. I haven't been watching the news lately to keep up, but at last count, for sure, it was three on the record with receipts. And Cuomo was like, I'm not resigning. And we talked about the precedent for that with, you know, Trump and his, you know, I grab him by the pussy. Like you're describing assault and and you didn't resign. There wasn't even anything to resign to when he did when that story came out. He was still running for office, but he got elected. So it's like, well, you know, if Trump can get away with grabbing women by the pussy and the governor of Virginia can have blackface photos come out and the lieutenant governor can be accused of rape in massive detail, then why should Cuomo resign? They didn't. Why do they get to get away with these things? But Cuomo doesn't. I feel like that's kind of what's what's happening here. Why so few people are speaking up. I will give Elaine credit for speaking up. I didn't think she was going to say anything just because she's no longer at Teen Vogue. And in the same way that I don't really diss Essence because I worked there for so long, I thought maybe she'd take a similar stance. But she did me proud. She didn't call for Alexi's resignation, but she did offer a condemnation during a segment of CBS's The Talk, where she's now a host. And so she said, quote, everyone knows I was former editor in chief of Teen Vogue. That aside, it doesn't matter. Her tweets and the sentiment behind them were racist and abhorrent and indefensible, period. And I think at times like this, when there is a call for accountability around anti-Asian sentiment and just racist, violent actions against Asian people, we need to speak up. So, yeah, I'm still sorting through my thoughts on that one. I think my knee jerk is probably right. I'm just not comfortable saying it. And that's my issue that I need to flesh out. Like, I don't want nothing bad to happen to the girl. But at the same time, you can't say shit like that. Or, I mean, I guess you can because she did and she's keeping her job. But it sets a really bad precedent. I also think it's it's worth saying, and I don't have the range to speak about it in depth, like I know my limits. I think there's, for lack of a better word, a lot of tension between the Asian community and the black community in some areas. I've reached out to a couple of experts to ask them to come on the show and talk about it with me. But I think, and I'm going back, I guess, to like the late 80s, 90s now. I think about the little girl who was shot in the head when she was accused of stealing orange juice by an Asian American woman store owner and she got off let me look that up real quick. Latasha Harlan she's 15 years old 51 year old Korean grocery store owner she was convicted of voluntary manslaughter. the jury recommended a sentence of 16 years but the judge in the case a white woman she sentenced the Korean grocer to time served plus five years of probation 400 hours of community service a $500 restitution and funeral expenses. That, that incident always comes up in documentaries about the Los Angeles uprising after the police in the Rodney King case were acquitted. The documentaries always talk about the tension between the Asian American community and the black community. I'm thinking back to New York a couple years ago. There was an incident where at a nail salon in Brooklyn, where a couple black women were beaten with sticks and, and splashed with acetone. Because one of the women, she paid for her manicure and pedicure, she refused to pay for a $5 eyebrow wax that she felt was botched. So one man, the owner, restrained her, and some of the nail techs picked up sticks and brooms and began beating the customers. And, and one of the nail techs threw nail polish remover in the women's faces, So, yeah, so I think of incidents like that. And there's also been some tension with um, in many black communities. A lot of the businesses are owned by Asian-Americans and there are countless stories from black folks saying that they are not treated well by the owners and workers of the stores. And again, like I said, I don't have the range to go into these things like I, I can pick out three or four stories. I'm just aware of the issue but not the nuance and the depth that it deserves. So I want to bring someone on the show. If you got recommendations, please let me know. I've reached out to a couple of people, but I haven't heard back yet. I do want to talk about that because I think it's an important issue. But I think, you know, that, that some of the, the hesitation for black folks to speak up, it's a black woman who said something about Asians. And some might say that, that when stuff happens to black folks, you don't hear much from the Asian community speaking out in our defense. So it's like, now you want us to stand up for you? I think that's some of the sentiment to why this story is um, that everyone's aware of, but a lot of black folks ain't really addressing.
2: Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping
4: spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13.
0: With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, Provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.
3: But in other news, I have a treat for you this episode. One of my favorite people, I've talked about her before on the episode, Nicole Walters. She has a new reality show with her family on USA Network. I've known Nicole for about four years now. But she's a great woman, she's a great friend, and her new show is absolutely hilarious. It features her husband, two of her three children, and her manny Eddie. And they are nuts. So I wanted to have Nicole on the show to talk about her new show because she's one of my favorite people. And I want her to be one of your favorite people too. So please welcome Nicole Walters to Ratchet and Respectable. How are you? Because I know like being on TV, especially being on reality TV, being in the midst of the press and the show running and everyone with commentary and opinions and live tweeting and all the things that you're expected to do to promote,
4: it's a lot. So how are you, friend? (sighs) Um, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. It's um there is no playbook for this, you know, And, and I'm grateful for friends like you that I'm able to lean on Your experiences to help guide my own. Um, but I'm okay. I think that one of the amazing things is one of my good friends, Bianca Olhoff. She is a pastor and she, um, let me, this is the respectable part that I'm about to get into the racket. (laughs) She said, let me, let me kick off with some pastoral balance. But, um, yeah, she, she was talking about how the Bible always uses fire to to create transformation. And that it's something that, you know, when we hear about fire, we think of destruction, we think of ashes, cinders, things not, you know, being left restored. But usually, you know, ashes are the thing that lend nutrients to soil to make them more fertile than ever before. And, you know, on places that were once set on fire, it's, you know, the ability to build something new. And a lot of this experience has felt like, you know, I've had my feet to the fire, I'm going through the fire, you know, and it's, it's been challenging, but I also feel a transformation happening. And, um, for that, I'm deeply grateful. Challenging in what ways? Uh, challenging in that prior to all of it, the awareness of the level of exposure, um, and recognizing that even though I had been sharing my life before that I am not in control of the storyline anymore. So, uh, and that is different. And then, um, you know, on a personal level, you know, this, this isn't my bread and butter. And oftentimes, the understanding of television work is people think that you are a bajillionaire because you're on TV. And everything you're doing has some side motive related towards generating revenue from TV, (laughs) you know, attention. And uh, it's just not true. You know, there are a lot of people on TV who are completely dead broke. And this isn't the business that pays me. And so you know, there's a bit of a refocus on making sure that I'm minding the business that pays me and never losing sight of that.
3: This is something that I know that you've wanted for a very long time. I think when we met back in 2017, I want to say it was New Year's Eve, 2017, you were already talking about this concept, like this was something that you really wanted to do. So it's been four years in the making. Is it what you thought it would be?
4: Yes and no. Yes, it was something I wanted to do, but the, my motives around it were different. So at the time, it was a delegation of content creation because i was so fixated on my consulting business i really really liked uh working with people to build their business that was where my heart was and i was like people seem to love to see my family also so it'd be great to have someone else create content around that so i can focus on my business and uh that was the intent in sort of signing up for all of this and you know it evolved now i realize i really am grateful for the opportunity to put such a sweet family and a real story and authentic positivity on a larger platform when I think not only does our society really need it, but our world just really needs the respite from the chaos. And what's nice is that's exactly what this show provides.
3: You all are so
4: unintentionally funny without even you know what i mean like you know what so it's a different energy but no but
3: even like you like when you tell me stories about things i'm like
4: and you're just telling me like it's the most normal thing on earth and i'm just like you know that's crazy mm-hmm. right and you're just like is it mm-hmm. or sending you like videos and texts and stuff and it's i think that's one of the most surprising bits of feedback people are like yeah, this is totally staged and acted, and like you guys are so not like that, and nobody's family's that crazy. And I'm are. like, oh, my beer.
3: <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> my are. Family's crazy. Like none of that is for TV. Like Eddie, that's that's everyday yes. Eddie. Like that he actually might be. I mean,
4: Eddie is just like slightly. That. Yes, like I really. think
3: he might be. Cautious, not conscious, conscious of the cameras where he's almost trying to project evenness. And it's mm-hmm. his version of even mm-hmm. that we're
4: seeing on TV. And it's just like, that's not even, sir, just so you know. Oh, and that is actually the part that I think is the funniest, is we're seeing Eddie with restraint. This is like fine-tuned, refined Eddie that you're seeing right now. Like, Eddie is a bucket barrel of chaos. <laughs> like, this is the good version. <laughs> Did you have to talk your family into the idea or were they all on board? they had to talk me into it. So that's something that I, you know, I've never been asked that question before, but they had to talk me into it. I was definitely like, I have a business already, you know, and if this isn't going to look a certain way, I wasn't planning on doing a family show, you know, and my family was like, that's totally fine. It's not a big deal. We're already doing it, you know, and maybe it'll be good for your business and it won't be that bad. You know, like my family was just kind of down for it. So I was like, all right, one more thing we're doing together, you know? And then here we are. <laughs> but I was really not here for a family show. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not putting my babies out there so someone can say something left and, and I get charges. No, no, no. <laughs> when you wanted a show, did you You wanted a show to be about your work? Oh yeah. Almost exclusively. I mean, and my the, my work in and of itself is just, it's Beyond intriguing, some of the things I come across. So like that, that alone is a storyline. It's actually one of the, and you may relate to this as a writer. Um, one of the things that is the most challenging about our show is is fine-tuning the singular story that can be the thread that ties it all the way because there's so many elements between the adoptive part, the way I quit my job and started my business, and me and Eddie and our dynamic by itself, an interracial interfaith marriage, uh, my daughter having cancer. Like we don't even talk about my daughter having cancer on the show because they were just like, it's just too much story. (laughs) They just couldn't do it all in a 21 minute. Cancer got cut because it was too much story? Cancer got cut because it was too much. It was just, they were like, it's just, it won't read believable to have all of that. So like we don't talk about a lot of things because our family's just, it's just that much. I thought that was the
3: the weirdest and also the most most frustrating part of reality TV for me because Mm -hmm. we would shoot like 12 hour days and all of that content would be the equivalent of like maybe four to six minutes, maybe if the segment made it in.
4: If it makes it. Yep, if it makes it. And I think that that's what's hard because people will draw a 100% conclusion based on 1% of what they're seeing. And um, you just always have to be prepared for that. The upside is, you know, the storyline they decided to really focus on, which is, you know, me running this business in addition to, you know, having this family that was created through adoption, you know, in a weird way that's plenty of story, you know, like we don't really need to throw in the rest of it, you know, but I mean, me and Eddie could have a buddy show by ourselves. Me and my husband could have a show by ourselves. Like my business is a show by itself. There's just so much stuff happening. So how do you find a balance to do all the things that you do? Or is there a balance? I mean, Demetra, like, you know, you, what I love about your podcast is we keep it 100% real. Girl, I was crying and texting you. you <laughs> I know, don't know how open you want to be before. about it, but yes. <laughs> okay, I was like, no, I mean, like, listen, I've seen, look, we all know what you post on social. Stop pretending like anything is ever blurred. Okay. Like, this <laughs> there no blurred is no real, like, <laughs> You know, it's true. It's true. I was crying you too, like crying and texting you like two days before the show, or maybe it was a day before the show premiere or day of, I don't remember, but I was just kind of like, it's hitting me and I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, like I, and I just, um, <sighs> I, forgot <the> <laughs> I forgot the question. How do you balance? How do balance, you balance? Balance, balance, balance. Right. Yeah. So like I texted you, you know, because of an awareness that things could be out of balance and feeling like, is this thing going to just take off like a roller coaster out, like out of control? And I mean, in so many words, you pretty much told me like, girl, just get ready to, you know, know your boundaries, know your boxes, but get ready to to take the ride, you know? And I think that's the thing I'm trying to keep in mind is nothing is ever in balance. That is the nature of the work that I do. And I just have to be where it matters most, you know, when it matters most. And that's usually with my family. What's the craziest thing that's happened since the show? Because the show debuted the 25th, February 25th. We're going on our third week right now. Um, Honestly, nothing. So I will tell you the craziest thing is this. I did not expect to be premiering a show during a time where I would wear a mask and sunglasses outside. And also, um, you know, the world is closed. So I'm going to have one of the biggest professional milestones of my life without ever really experiencing it with other people. So I think that is probably the weirdest part, you know, where one might have like a premiere party or, you know, go out for cocktails to celebrate or I I went to the mall and oh my gosh, someone recognized me. Like these are not things in my life. Everything feels exactly the same. And that is probably the most unusual part of this entire experience. I don't feel any different, and so being aware that all these things could have happened, and I'm going to re-enter the world, and it's going to be completely different from before, is <laughs> like I don't know what I'm walking into when the world opens up oh, again. Sis. I have no idea. Yeah, you're going to be texting yeah. me, oh, okay? Right. <laughs> like, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I have no idea. But that's the type of stuff that has me like, uh, you know, or it might be. I mean, again, releasing sort of, and I think you may have been the one who told me this too. But just sort of releasing my expectations around what will happen with the show. Like, I'm excited about it, and I'm proud of it. And I know it's great. And whether or not it continues has nothing to do with the quality of what was put out there. I didn't have to compromise myself. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. But if it does end up like getting, taking off and the feedback has been phenomenal, then what does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, am I, what does it mean? I don't know. I don't know. Playing it by ear, day by day.
3: Are you ever worried about the stigma of being a reality star?
4: All the time, all the time. I don't want to be limited. And I know that it's one of those things that's hard to shed. Um, it's part of why we picked the style of television that we did rather than like something more ensemble cast or stepping into an existing brand. I was approached, you know, for a couple of different shows, you know, of a similar housewifey nature, you know, and um, always declined, you know, just because at least at that point in that time of my season, it just isn't something I'm interested in doing. But um, What's nice about this is, you know, it does align with who I really am. So hopefully I won't just be a reality star. But I know this is a big part of my story. You'll never be just a reality star. (laughs) I hope not. I hope not. Um, Yeah, I hope not. But, you know, I know that these sorts of things, people think they're pretty big deals, you know. Um, So we'll see what happens. It's, it's weird. T- being on TV is weird. I don't know if I've adjusted. I think that some of the adjustment is seeing how other people see you. And because of pandemic, I don't experience that. So it just it doesn't feel like anything's really happening. I feel like I'm the only person who watches the show. When I hear about it, it's weird. Yeah, I, I, I have a very <laughs>
3: similar feeling. Like, you know, like my first film just came out mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I was at home by myself. I didn't watch it on TV. I'd seen it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like laying in the bed, like randomly texting with like one of my friends through like the East Coast and West Coast premiere. Like, it's like, it happened. I know it happened. Like, people tell me it happened, but did it happen? I guess so. It's
4: really weird. Yeah, it did. And then, like, the next day, you're kind of like, so, okay, had the whole wedding. Day after the wedding, the thing is done. Okay, it's the same. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's the same. Whereas, like, like you know, Demetra, like, if this was a, you know, open world, it'd be like, I literally was thinking about this the other day. I should text you on, you know how I always text you on one of my, like, we're going to go do something ridiculous right now. And so I was like, feeling like this is the time. Like, I should probably text her. We should go do something. Like, let's go hop on a plane. Let's go do something crazy. But, um, you know, I'm saving it for later because, you know, I'm staying alive. But okay. I wanted to do something crazy. And I thought about texting you right. and was like, let's go run off. But then I was like, but to wear, right. like, once we get there, we can't do shit. Like, you know, there's black right. You got to wear right. masks. Like, well, And then the way that we always like to do stuff, it's just, there's, I don't think that there was a way that we could do it on the level that we normally do. So I was like, all right, I guess this is what it is. But, um, but it does feel weird to not appropriately celebrate with like the right flexibility, some of the biggest professional milestones of our ever evolving life. And I, I have to hold on, you know, to the Inner belief, you know, that aligns with my faith. That oh, it must not. It must be that this isn't our moment. Like this isn't the biggest moment. I don't believe in a God that would ever give me anything halfway or let me experience a fraction of anything. So if this is something where it's like I didn't experience the entire celebration, then He must have something much bigger up His sleeve for both of us. That's such a great way to look at it. I love it. What do you want to do, like in the in
3: the grand scheme of things? Because like I see you on social and I see you I'm working. Never asked me that. <laughs> I mean, I try to be a good, like, journalist. I try to be, like, a good I, mean, I was like, you're good I was like, you're actually good at this. Look at you. Um, You've been doing this for a while I now. I mean, you know, two decades and counting. But, like, what, what is it that you want to do? What's the overall grand scheme, big plan?
4: Oh, man. Um, I, I have a feeling that it's going to look like possibly a media company of some sort, Um I, I wanna say a Tyler Perry situation, but more digitally inclined is kind of the the happy medium. But right now I'm just focused on building really strong businesses, not just for myself, but also for my clients. And then I will leverage that down the line. Um I just want my name to change, you know, the stock market because then I'm able to leverage you know, my name in order to really position the world for good. Um, I'm hoping that I can spend the majority of my later years uh, doing philanthropic work. But in order to do that, I have to collect all the money so I can put it where it needs to go.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. What is something that you always wish people would ask you that no one ever does? Hmm.
4: I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, this is honestly one of the best interviews I've ever had because you're actually asking me, like, you're making me think, you know, before it's not just the usual. Um, Because I don't know about you, but like, I sit around and practice interview
3: questions. Like, I hate being blindsided. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I practice, Mm -hmm. like, sort of certain things. And then there are things that no one ever asked me about. And I was just like, really? I fretted over that for, like, no reason. And then, like, you know. Right.
4: Yeah, there's usually like a, um, yeah, I don't, pro- I, I think that that would probably be a question I'd want to know is like, I think a lot of people think I'm a natural, or I have natural high energy. And I if there was anything I'd want someone to know, it's that I, I work really hard, Um, you know, to give my best and to do what I say I will do. And that is something that and I've got many sides to me, you know, so even though I am high energy, and even though I love what I do, and I authentically am just a people person in every respect, I also have a very serious side of me, particularly when it comes to the work I do and how I show up and my family. And um, you don't get to see that in a lot of different places. But um, I think what's nice about the show is the show actually does bring a little element of that where people can see like, oh, man, she takes parenting really seriously, (laughs) you know, that type of thing. So um, I I think if there's anything, there's that it's uh, I wish people knew I had more sides to me than just sort of fun, silly, bubbly Nicole. I guess that is the side that most people
3: see. Like, I see you switch. Mm-hmm. You've, seen the, you've seen those sides. Yeah. Like, you've seen it. Yeah. Well, no, when I first met you, like, that that was, like, you, you were high energy, hello. And then we started having, like, grown woman conversation. And mm-hmm. literally, like, a waiter passed by. And you were like, I need a pen and a piece of paper. And then you went, like, into business mm-hmm. mode and, like, literally wrote out a whole <laughs> business plan. Like, okay, your world has fallen apart. This is how we're going to fix it. Right. And you literally wrote the whole thing right. out and was like, we're starting here. And then we're going here. And then we're going here. And right. I was like, holy shit. Like, I just met this
4: woman. And she's like, literally, literally, it's like pulling out a pen and paper and fixing my life. This is crazy. <laughs> it's funny. I just did an interview with uh, Dr. Jackie from Married to Medicine. She's a good friend of mine, lives down the street. And she um, was saying, she was like, people don't know. You're like the Olivia Pope of business. <laughs> God, <you are. laughs> And I was like, I guess I cover it up by being, uh, you know, fun. So people don't realize it. I don't know. People don't realize like how complete, like as a businesswoman,
3: like how completely shrewd and kind of gangster you are. Yeah,
4: gangster. I'll take it. I mean,
3: (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's the most accurate description. Like you're very sweet about the whole (gasps) thing, but it's also very ruthless at the same time. Like,
4: yeah, I am. I'm definitely like. I will get paid and I will get paid in full and on. And you
3: say the same things <laughs> to me. You're just plan. like, no, you've got to demand this and you've got to demand that. That's not in your contract. Write them back and tell them, call your manager right now right. and tell her. And I'm just like, are you serious
4: right now? And you were like, oh, so you should totally have that. You should totally have that. It's like, oh, okay, great, right. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, It's interesting. It's, um, and I think it's fun because, you know, again, People see, you know, the playful side of things, you know, on social. And obviously most of the people who've worked with me as students or clients, they know that I'm both sides. But that is actually the one thing that I think I often get feedback on is they're like, Oh, wow, you're, you take this very seriously. And I'm like, I do. Cause you know, I don't play, I don't play with, I grew up broke. I don't play with money. You know, I don't play with uh, people's legacy, you know, and I just recognize that your work has to be worthy. And, uh, some of us, like when I look at you and I think of just the gift that you are in, in your willingness to share your lessons, while you're going through them, you know, is just, it's incredible. You know, most of us are far too fearful to share our scabs while they're healing. And we prefer instead to share our scars. And I mean, you truly do, you know, open yourself up in the most vulnerable way through your work to make sure that we all are learning and healing and not wasting a moment in achieving that. And I just think that should be honored, not just financially, but also with reach, you know, you got to get to as many people as possible because people need you. So I don't know. It's um, it's rewarding work and it makes me happy. And I just I take it really seriously. I love that. I love many things
3: about you. You've been a very good friend to me and I'm very happy for you with this new show.
4: Are you kidding me? I'm so happy with for you. I mean, we our shows premiered your movie and my show premiered like three days apart. I remember thinking to myself, this is like so incredibly wonderful. Like I remember just being so happy about it because I was like, this is. It's just, we've talked about it. You know what I mean? For years, it was just such a professional milestone and you're so deserving. I'm so excited about it. And I'm also excited because I know it's just the beginning. Like it was like a check Mark that almost needed to happen so that the next thing could happen for you. And it's just a big deal. It's a big, big deal. And congratulations on your show because literally like you've been talking about
3: this since the day I met you. Um, And it's come to fruition. (laughs) And like, I know all the ups and downs and the backstories and, you know, the Mm -hmm. contracts and the starts and stops, which is, you know, TV. That's just, you know, that's just what it is. TV. There's so much. I feel like for everything that makes it on the screen, that's either like drama scripted reality. I feel like the behind the scenes of what happens is really where the show needs to be. Like if they turn those cameras on,
4: people wouldn't believe it.
3: People would never believe it ever. Like it's 10 times crazier than anything that's ever been scripted. That's ever been shown on a reality TV show behind the scenes. is nuts.
4: It's nuts. I mean, and just like, I mean, just talk about the logistics, the emotional behind the scenes is crazy. It's crazy. It's, do I still want to do this? Does this make sense? Can I trust that person? What will happen with my family? Should I put a hard line here? Should I let this one go? I mean, there's a lot of back and forth. But um, I'm really grateful to say that I didn't compromise my values and that, you know, anything that's shown, um, I had an opportunity to screen the full season. I'm super proud of the product, you know? So it's, uh, I'm grateful for that. Almost to the point where I'm like, Do do I test my luck and try another season or am I just grateful this one went down? You have to do a season two. You have to do a season two. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of laughs. I think a lot of people are um, clamoring for it. After that first episode, people were just screaming, like, keep this thing on the air. Keep this show on the air. She's the boss is great. So hopefully we'll give the people what they yeah. want. I mean, you guys are fun.
3: I love you just because I love you. But I also love you on TV as well. <laughs> like, even the edited version, like, pared down. And I was like, this is, like, a tenth of the crazy. They're conscious of the cameras. This is a <laughs> yes. tenth of the crazy. If you only knew. But yes.
4: Oh, my gosh. I love it. No, I love... Um, Listening to your podcast and listening to you know all the things that you have going on, reading what you're writing. It's just like this version of you that people you know, absolutely love because it is authentic. It's true. It's it's real. It's, it's raw. It's more honest than I think most people typically encounter. But there's something to seeing you do that through a form of storytelling where it allows people to not just be observers outside to what Demetria is doing or where she's going or what she's eating, but being a inserting themselves into your story and kind of seeing like, is this how it could have played out for me? Or could I play it out differently? And what can I learn and apply to my life? I mean, it's just been it's been amazing. Everyone listening is like, it's it's a praise party. I love you, No, I love you. I love you. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, people don't get to see all sides of you, and and you know, we talk about. I think the funny story of when we first met, like it was all of your. We didn't know each other at all, at all. Like I didn't, I, I didn't, never even not in a you know negative Hollywood, but I hadn't heard of you, right? Like I didn't know who you were, and then all your followers were sending me DMs same, same. saying. You and are at the same place. You have to meet each other. You two would like each other. (laughs) Like, insistent. (laughs) Insistent. No. And then when I finally met you, you were everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea what to expect. I just knew
3: that, like, everyone kept hitting me, and they were like, "You have to meet her. You have to meet her. You have to meet her." Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if you reached out mm-hmm. or I reached out, but like, we were just like, "All right, we're gonna meet mm-hmm. here and have this drink." Yeah, why not? And it was supposed to be like a thirty-minute yep.
4: situation. I think it was like three hours, like, it's yeah, hours. Yeah, we were just hours and just clicked. And I just remember thinking to myself, one, I felt so grateful that I got to know you in the context that I did because you know this is the only you I know. You know, and what's exciting about that is in seeing all that you've done you know, since, you know, I can truly speak to your character and your heart and your soul. And just, I don't know, you know, what people listen for or think about you. I know that they they feel like you're their best friend, but I don't know if they necessarily know. And I hope they hear that you truly are deeply invested in the betterment of, of women as a whole and individually and holding men to a higher standard and just really making sure that we are aiming to be what we, um, what we can be, you know, and and defining that for ourselves, and it's just been really beautiful to see you realize that through everything oh, that you're doing. You're the sweetest. You're absolutely the sweetest. And I want my <laughs> listeners to know because people told you that I talked about you on
3: a previous episode. I meant to text you before it went live. Like I just I wasn't thinking. Um, and
4: then you were like, you talked about me on the show. Like, am I on a penis episode? And I was like, Girl, I was like, you know, a lot of stuff about me. What did you say? Was it ratchet or respectable?
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, but I told them I was like, you know, like she is marvelous. She is wonderful. You have to watch her show and I was like she is just I think I described you as a force of personality and I was like and you'll oh see God. like you've seen clips online but I was like when you see her family when you see her in context um of where she just thrives
4: like you'll see like a whole other side to her and like it's amazing it's like really really amazing so Jeez, I'm excited about the show, and I'm so grateful you brought me on to be able to chat about it and chat about our friendship. And I think we're, a, people, a lot of people are always seeking, like, what do female friendships where, with strong women, you know, who are accomplished, what does it sound like, you know? And I think it's nice that people are able to have an ear. To kind of the relationship and know that it's it's very much a thing. You're my you're my one friend who will never ever bulk at me <laughs> suggesting anything excessively bougie or ridiculous. Like you are my go-to for that. Like I think I have texted you, you know, randomly saying, Hey, I'm in LA, I got reservations at this ridiculous restaurant. Let's go. You're like, and I'll, like, be, I'll ready. be ready. Exactly. Ready. Exactly. Let's talk about reservation. <laughs> I'll be there. No. Right, right. And uh, these are the relationships that I just I seek to enjoy for the rest of my life, and I appreciate you again. On top of that, using your platform to help lift me. So my thank pleasure,
3: you. my pleasure. I also kind of like, oh, you wanted advance because, like, you know, I'm gonna crash at your house when I, because <laughs> you're
4: forcing me at this point. Like, it's like a forced move to oh, Atlanta. You have no choice whatsoever. I don't know if I'm necessarily moving there full time. I mean, I'm here for bi-coastal as like a lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like, I totally get it. But you know, East Coast is your home. You will never, you will never be Demi to us. Oh, really had to throw that part out there. You're like, and you'll, you'll always be Demetria. We're not calling you that shit. You, always be Demetria. Okay, we've been angling to get you back. Enough is enough. Really? Oh my god, do you think I've I've gone Hollywood since I've been out here? I mean, you have a movie. Oh. <laughs> And, and and you didn't watch it, and you stayed in bed just texting a friend. I don't think that's more L.A. than that. Out <laughs> of Hollywood, that's very
3: – I would do that on the East Coast. We wouldn't let you. That's a whole nother story. We're going in a whole different direction.
4: Okay. Best of luck to for you, me. my friend, <laughs> on your new show. Thank you so much. Uh, for anyone who wants to watch, uh, She's the Boss is on USA Network every Thursday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern. And um, if you DVR it and watch it later, that still counts for ratings. So so show your good sis some love. <laughs> and where can they follow you online if they want to know more about Nicole Walters? Yes. If anyone wants any business help or support, head over to NicoleWalters.com. I'd love to work with you. All right, my love.
3: I told you she was awesome. I know I say that about everyone who comes on the show, but I also try to make a point of only having awesome people on my show. Like, if you're not awesome, why am I talking to you? Why are you here? What's the point? So that is the episode for this week. Thank you, as always, for listening to Ratchet and Respectable. If you have not picked up your Ratchet and Respectable merch... There is a little bit left on the site. We still have some tees and some v-necks and some hoodies and some sweatshirts, mostly in the smaller sizes. We are going to restock Ratchet and Respectable. I've seen your texts and your DMs and your emails. There's also Don't Waste Your Pretty merchandise. If you didn't get a chance to pick up the book, I'm still doing signed copies of the book, at least through the end of the month. I don't know about after that. And then there are Don't Waste Your Pretty mugs you know, for your coffee or if you like to add a little something in it, especially if you're working from home, stressful days, you know, take the edge off and the books, the mugs, oh, the hoodies. There's also hoodies on the site. Um, people tend to think my merch sells out in a day because it's happened a couple times, which thank you, but there are still hoodies on the site, especially if you are a plusher madame, if you are large to a 4X, there is a hoodie waiting for you. Please pick up some merch from the site DemetriaLLucas.com. And if you need some ratchet and respectable between this episode and next week, you need some shenanigans to hold you over, you can follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Demetria L. Lucas. That's really everything. I can't think of anything else that I'm supposed to talk about. And I don't have that nagging feeling that I'm missing something. So I will speak to you again.